Welcome to Clinical Lab Chat, part of the MedCore Podcast Network. I'm Chris Wolski, Director of Business Intelligence for CLP, and today I'll be speaking with Jennifer McCormick about the role of laboratorians as health communicators. Jennifer has more than 15 years of experience as a medical laboratory scientist working in hospital core laboratories and transfusion services in both the U.S. and Canada. She also worked in development and manufacturing of blood uh, typing Antisera uh, prior to joining COLA Inc. in 2016 as a technical advisor. And she's currently COLA's uh, technical writer, developing webinars, technical bulletins, and educational materials, as well as articles for external publication. Her work has been featured in several industry uh, publications and science communication blogs, and we're hoping to have her write some things for CLP uh, in the near future. Uh, so um, welcome, uh, welcome, Jen. Uh, and, you know, I don't think that there's really any secret. We talked about this uh, before um, uh, we began recording this um uh, podcast. I don't think there's really any secret that there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about medical testing and, and healthcare in general today. It just seems rampant. Uh, and I think uh, we could do an entire series of programs on uh, just untangling some really egregious, uh, re- really egregious uh, examples of that. So while um, that could be helpful to talk about how these egregious examples, uh, I wanted to speak to you today a, a bit more about the positive and how do laboratorians help their friends, family, uh, and acquaintances to avoid going down that rabbit hole of misinformation and misunderstanding, and maybe even more to the point, why should they even have that that role? So what are some of the most common questions laboratorians can expect from their family and family and friends? Maybe some of the ones you've had. You're your, uh, your background as a laboratorian and as communicator. So what are some of the uh, questions that you get day to day from family and friends and acquaintances? Uh, well, the, the questions have definitely increased um, since COVID uh, has hit just because there's a lot more talk about the laboratory uh, out there and a lot more people are just getting themselves tested. Um, you know, normally when you think about testing, you go to your doctor's office and they order a test and you go get your blood drawn and you get your results. But now people are sort of having to decide for themselves, you know, when when should I go get tested? Um, You know, I've got a party coming up. I'm going to, you know, my friend's wedding or something. When should I take a test and what kind of test? Right. Uh, Or I, you know, I've been in the office all week. I just found out the, you know, the secretary has it, you know, has COVID. And now now I need to go get tested. How long do I wait? Um, so, so people are sort of not clear necessarily on what the, the quote unquote rules are, you know, for, for getting the tests. And then there's also a lot of, you know, why are my test results taking so long to get back? And that's right. That's, that's kind of um, something that, that everyone has experienced. I mean, especially when the surges hit um, and the labs get kind of strapped uh, People want to know why things take so long. And and one of the other big questions is about, you know, the tests themselves. I'm sure, have you gone to get any COVID tests yourself? I have. Chris? I have. I have indeed. 
And um, when they did the swabbing, was it just like a little Q-tip in your nose or was it the really long swab that went all the way back? No, thankfully, it was just the little, the, the more friendly one at the front of my nose. Oh, good, good. But, you know, the, the different ones are out there, right? I'm right. sure you've heard of some friends who've gotten the oh, really sure. long swab. And oh, yeah. I know some um, some schools are doing uh, spit tests, saliva testing. Right. Um, or swabbing the mouth because uh, it's a little easier, especially for children, than trying to, you know. I have kids. Trust me, getting a swab up their nose is really something. Yeah, um, probably a lot of fun. <laughs> so, so yeah, people are wondering, well, what's why are they different? You know, they're right. all the same test. So why why is everything so different? So, so people are, are really sort of curious about about the how and why and and the turnaround time of these tests. And so they come to me because they know I'm I'm the lab person, right? You know, so they ask right. me. Well, and, and we talked a little bit about in our, in our prep uh, call a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked a little bit about now there's misinformation. We talked about some of the uh, uh, some of the uh, kinds of uh, certainly there's the positive, you know, how does this work? But people are coming to you asking you things about, well, can I I think one of the examples you gave me was, OK, so this has a swab that I need to use in my nose. Can I also use the spit as well just to get some extra to really cover my bases? Um, are you getting those kinds of questions as well? Like just uh, trying to untangle some of the misinformation in terms of how to even just particularly for the home test, because those are more popular now, uh, just how to use those pro- properly. What we're going to get into in a minute about what, what you need to tell people and answer those questions. But are you getting those kinds of questions too that are just really built on some, misinform- some misinformation about how to use some of these tests? Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I also get questions about, you know, some of the treatments and stuff, which is outside of the scope of my expertise, obviously. But there's, sure. there's, I'm sure anyone who has an internet connection and who has any kind of social media presence, I mean, there is a lot out there about COVID. Right. Um, so much so that um, Facebook has little warnings saying, you know, careful, this is COVID information, double check it, you know, whenever someone posts about, about COVID. So, so yeah, people... Very recently, there was sort of a wave on Twitter, uh, people saying anecdotally that Omicron was better detected in saliva. Um, and and so people were saying, make sure you swab your throat, too, because you might get a false negative with just your nose. But, um, you know, about specifically about that one, I tell people to just, you know, read the package insert. Right. You know, that's that's instructing you what what to do. Right. If it doesn't say swab your throat, don't swab your throat. I mean, exactly. when you're not putting toothpaste in your nose, you know, and you're not drinking Coke with with your nose and anything you put in your mouth and your saliva can affect the test. Right. Um, so, yeah, if it hasn't been approved for an oral swab, please don't do it. It's right. not going to be an accurate test. You know, so so read the manual, basically. Is exactly. What I tell people. Okay, so that, that brings me, you know, on to, okay, so we, we, we talked about some of the questions, but I think the answers, I think really, you know, particularly these days, uh, I, I just read an article about this just prior to coming on uh, to do this recording uh, about, you know, how to really be straightforward and empathetic at the same, at the, at the same time. So, it, and not be dismissive, you know, being just dismissive of someone uh, unless they're completely, you know, telling you to drink bleach, I guess, or, or I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't even think of something uh, on the testing side that, that would, that I've heard that makes my, you know, blood go cold. Uh, but 
how do you answer the, those questions, particularly in a way that will empower those friends, families, and loved ones, particularly if you've got this that question six times in the last four days? So how do you how do you how would you recommend you know as a communicator, both a laboratory and as a and as a communicator, how would you um, how would you recommend answering some of those questions that would empower people, not just be you know say you know don't be dumb. This is this is how to do. It. This is how to be smart about how to be smart about this. This is how to take take control of your health and your te- and the testing. Right. I, I mean, I I figure if someone is approaching me with a question, it's it's an honest question. You know, right. they they're not coming with a gotcha. They they want to know more about the process and and sort of take control of their own health because it has kind of been put in their hands, right, to make right. these decisions on what tests to ask for and and when to get it and all this sort of thing. And they they're scared to make the wrong choice to to protect their families. And that's really everyone has the same priority is to keep yourself and your family safe from from COVID. And and if I can help them understand the way the tests work, then maybe I can help them make smarter choices. Um, Mainly, I I try to take the mentality of teaching them to fish. Um, Mm -hmm. So I mean, yes, I do have some answers. um, But, you know, even I myself, I rely on good sources when someone comes to me with a question, even if it's a question that I've heard before, you know, like mm-hmm. the testing windows, for example. Um, the CDC website is really good uh, with information for the public. The FDA has a list of tests um, that are approved for home use and, and, and use at the doctor's office. But things, especially at the beginning, were changing so fast. I mean, the information coming out about COVID um, – you know, the the testing windows, um, what sort of new tests were hitting the market and being approved. It was also fast, you know, so I would always rely on those websites to double check before I'd give anybody any answers. And and I'd also send links to, to my family okay. and say, you know, if you if you want some more information about testing windows of of when after an exposure you might want to get a test. Or if you want some information about what a PCR is compared to what a rapid antigen test is, because these are not words that the average person, you know, is familiar with, and suddenly they're everywhere. Um, So there are some websites that can help them with that. And um, another one that I use a lot is, uh, I'm I'm near Baltimore, so I use the Johns Hopkins uh, website. They've got a ton of really great COVID information out there. Great website. Yeah. Yeah. So Perfect. so I share those a lot because honestly, if people know where to go for the good information, it's not that they'll bother me less, but it's that they'll start to be able to take charge of, of learning for themselves um, from good sources. Yeah. And that, and that, I think, really is the crucial point. We talked a lot about this uh, in our in our um, pre-interview uh, chat a couple of weeks ago. Um how can you help people? And I think this might be the most important way to help empower people. And you kind of touched on this, I think, in a, in a really good way. How do you help to empower people to identify good information for the bad information? Because as we discussed in, in that, um, in, our, in our previous conversation, there's a lot of bad information out there. And sadly, there is some bad information out there from people who should maybe know better uh, or... or um, you know, who could, who have the veneer of, of expertise. And so how do you, how do you help people identify, okay, it's not just going, it's not just being on a trusted website, but it's also knowing when the information you're looking at is like, wait a minute, this doesn't, this sounds a little fishy, this sounds a little fishy, fishy here. You know, having 
maybe educate, helping them to educate themselves in a way that that's um, reaction, uh, rational, you know, that, that, that has, that's really reality scientifically based as opposed to, um, you know, just relying on, you know, uh, maybe just, just relying on going to an expert website. I think also being able to identify when you, something crosses your desk or crosses your feed, that seems a little iffy. Uh, how, how, how would you recommend uh, laboratorians do that do that? Well, I mean, it's it's tricky, right? Because as right. you mentioned, there's there's a lot of people on social media. So you've got Facebook and TikTok and Twitter and, and anybody can really just go on an account and, and look official right. um, and say anything. Um, you know, the credentials that a person claims may not necessarily be correct. Um, you know, depending on, on, on who they are. There are people who go out to misinform. And there's others who, who mean well and just don't quite have it right, right. Um, who are putting information out there. And um, the average person is not equipped to, like, do a deep dive in everybody's credentials, right? You're not going to do a background check on everybody that you're looking at on, on social media. But there's some things that can sort of clue you in that things are not quite right. You know, if the person never really um, points you back to any clinical studies or or anything um, to back up what they're saying, then you sort of have to have a question about that. Also, if somebody's expertise is in a completely different area and, and they're discussing COVID, for example, I would sort of pause a little bit. For example, I would probably trust an epidemiologist a lot more than like an economist on on right. something to do with you know with covid sure. so that's not to say there aren't some very smart economists out there who know a lot but it it just if you're trying to find the best information out there you want to find the experts who are best trained in that um which is also why honestly i i would love to have more med techs, um, clinical laboratory scientists out there doing science communication. I, I, I wish there were more of us more publicly um, doing it. And there are some. That right. There are some. It's that people don't necessarily understand what we do and that we are um, a resource. Right. Um, part of that is because of the shortage of med techs, honestly. But at least that's come into the news a little bit recently. Um, yeah. Which is good for the profession. For sure. For sure. Well, I think you, you touched on an interesting point. I, you know, more um, laboratorians and, and med techs should be doing this. Pathologists should be doing, uh, should be getting out there and talking about not just COVID tests, but tests in, in general. I'm going to lay out a question, and this may be a big one. Maybe it's too big for, for right <laughs> now to uh, answer right now. Why bother? I mean, why, why should it be on uh, someone who is, you know, doing very important work, uh, helping people, uh, you know, identify whether or not they're sick, uh, whether it's COVID or, or cancer or any host of other diseases. Why should they? Why should they bother bother taking the time out of their busy schedule to uh, talk to friends, family, etc., um, lecture, uh, write letters to the editor? What? So, what? What should motivate them to to do this? Well, I mean, it, you're right. The lab profession is very stretched thin, and that's everywhere from bench techs up to the pathologists running the labs. Everyone right. is is burnt out. Uh, healthcare is kind of uh, in a crunch. Uh, so, so you're right. It's hard to find the time. But 
I think, at least personally for me, part of my reason for wanting to make sure that I get out there and make myself visible as a clinical lab scientist is not many people know about us. Um, So it is a very invisible profession. And we're also in a crisis where there are more people due to be retiring soon from this profession and people leaving, too. Uh, you know, with COVID, people are just burnt out. Right. And there's and there's not enough people being trained to come in and replace the people who are leaving. So it's going to get worse. Right. Um, and and if people don't know the profession exists, how would they know to go to school for it and and to go and learn for it? Um, so so I try whenever I'm talking to anybody, I mean, we. We said at the beginning, one of the questions was, why, why does it take so long to get my test results back? Right. And, and that's because it takes people with really specialized training to run the test. It's not, you know, the easiest thing to, to run. Um, and, and if we can make this profession more visible to people, they may be interested in actually joining us and, and, and doing good from the lab bench um, and choosing this as a profession. Um, COLA actually has a scholarship program. Uh, It's one of the ways that we are hoping to help uh, get more people into the lab profession. It's the Give Back 365 program, and we we give away scholarships to MedTech students. Oh, that's Um, terrific. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. It's helping a lot of people to um, pay for their school and and, and keep going. So so, so my personal reason, you know, I can't say why everyone else should do it, but I really think that as a – you know, hidden profession. We're often literally in the basement <laughs> of like <laughs> of the health facility yeah. with no windows. Um, yep. You know, people don't know. You get to meet your nurses. You get to meet your respiratory techs. You don't meet the med tech who's right. you know downstairs in the lab running your CBC and telling the doctor you need a blood transfusion. You know, because you're so low. Exactly. Um, so making us more visible, I think, is really just something we all should be thinking about. Um, we're really well-trained, highly trained professionals with a lot of expertise and, and a lot of knowledge. And, you know, we, we can answer some of these questions. We can, we can do a lot of this. Right. And, and have been cr- critical uh, during, and particularly in COVID and, and uh, a lot of other uh, times when we, when we, uh, when we didn't, we, when we've had other outbreaks that maybe not here in other parts of the world, but uh, certainly uh, during uh, flu season, uh, we mm-hmm. don't we certainly don't think of of uh, you know we think of uh, our doctors, but we don't think, as you said, the laboratorians. So yeah, just getting in the I like I like that about you know just the uh, shining a light on 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 a, a secret profession, I guess, or a hidden profession. <laughs> uh, so uh, to that point, to to kind of wrap things up here, um, what would you say are maybe the two or three? Let's call them back best practices that laboratorians uh, should adhere to when communicating with friends, family, acquaintances, et cetera, about diagnostic testing and medical uh, information in general. And then just in the, in, a bigger, in the bigger scope of things, maybe even beyond COVID, just COVID. I mean, most of the questions would be COVID, but why? <laughs> For now, yeah, a lot, a lot why, of COVID. But we have to think, you know, think sunnier days ahead and, and they'll be asking about other, other things. You know, you're, you're right. They do ask about other things. Um, and, and that's another place where we kind of have to be careful uh, and know our limits. Um, As as medical technologists, as clinical lab scientists, we're smart, we're knowledgeable, we've got a lot of answers, but we're not physicians. Right. You know, that's not our realm. That's not our expertise. So, you know, Uncle Joe comes to you at Thanksgiving and says, hey, so here's my lab results. What does all this mean? You know, and, and we can't 
we can't do that. We can't tell them what they mean. We may be able to say, you know, oh, A1C, that's that's your, your hemoglobin A1C. That means how well you've been taking care of your type 2 diabetes, you right. know, uncle. You know, we can explain bits and pieces and how to read the report and what all those things might mean and, and, and what they're looking for. But you can't tell them, you know, that means you're doing a good job with your diabetes. Now, you, you have to be careful with, with, you know, stopping at where your expertise stops. Um, and, and that can... You know, that, that's important to make sure that we remember that right. you have to refer them back to their doctor for, for a lot of that. And and the corollary, too, to that is you got to just admit when you don't know something, um, especially with medical stuff and clinical stuff. Um, it, it can change. Testing changes rapidly. There are so many new tests being developed day to day that you may not necessarily be doing yourself in your laboratory. Um so someone coming to you asking about, you know, these new PCR tests or these new molecular tests, you have to just admit if you don't know, you know, and, and, and understand that, that bringing them to a resource that they can refer to is as helpful as helping them. Right. Um, and because you don't want to be contributing to the misinformation. You don't want to take a For good sure. guess and, and, and swing and miss. For sure. And that can also help lead to misinformation when you're just trying to wing it, uh, particularly on a, on, on a health uh you know, uh, health uh, 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 test or, or any sort of health health issue for sure. So, yeah. All right. Well, great. Well, unfortunately, uh, we're out of time. Uh, but, Jen, I think we covered some really important ground here today. And I want to thank you for your time and all these great insights. And I want to thank uh, our listeners uh, today for, for listening. Uh, look for more episodes of Clinical Lab Chat in the future. And uh, visit us online at uh, clpmag.com. That's clpmag.com. And all, on all of the uh, major social media platforms. And until next time. Thank you for having me.